I want to make a little, we're going to be in Leviticus 18 today. And of all the chapters that I have ever preached in Scripture, I don't think there's ever, I've never heard a sermon from Leviticus 18 solely. But it is one that's dealing with sexual sin. All kinds of them. We will not be reading all the verses today. And here's what I want to say. For, for those parents here who have young children, I'm going to be <laughs> using some words, uh, sexual and things, that, uh, and I'm going to be very, I'm going to wordsmith a lot on the fly here, so that I, I, I'm not going to say things unnecessarily, because I don't want you to have really weird conversations you're not prepared for on your way home, okay? So I'm going to ask the adults to please try and understand what I'm trying to communicate, so that I can uh, not get the little kids' heads spinning on things they don't know. So I'm going to have to do that, but it's still the Word of God, and we still have to discuss the text. So we're going to be doing that, and I would covet your prayers on doing that. So in Leviticus chapter 18, we're going to be talking still about living with holy distinction. Uh, When we think about the whole reason why we have the book of Leviticus, it was God's method and means by which He could dwell among His people. This people... Being a very sinful people, having had lived in Egypt for 400 years, obviously they had taken on some bad ideas, and they had been uh, exposed for many generations to pagan ideas specifically. So spiritually, spiritual corruption, if you will. Um, if you recall, all of the plagues that happened from God's hand when He was delivering the nation was an attack against one of their deities. Okay, and so they lived around this culture. Uh, it's what they knew. Idolatry was something that they had been very early on introduced to and practiced and uh, synchronized in many ways with who they were supposed to be as God's chosen people. And now they get sent out into the desert. And the very first thing out of the box, they sin with the golden calf as the very moment that God is giving Moses the Ten Commandments upon the mountain and the glory of God was there on the mountain. They were down uh, uh, creating false gods and doing all kinds of sexually inappropriate things. Okay, Because idolatry to that degree, idolatry and sexual promiscuity and sexual perversion go hand in hand. They, They always do. But uh, God wanted to be among His people. And so He created the tabernacle in the wilderness. This was a way that God could dwell right in the midst of the tribes of His people. And we talked about the, re- the need for blood to atone for sin. And we've talked about how the corruption of man never ceases. And God is at the same time allowing a means by which they can be close to Him. He is also teaching them how to live lives that are no longer pagan. Okay, So all of these things that we see in these bizarre, what we might call bizarre food uh, restrictions, uh, and all of those things, now he's talking about in their sexual lives. He wants them to be a sexually pure people. Because, again, the occultic practices from which they came from, and the land of Canaan, which, which way they were going into were full of sexually cultic perversions. And so this chapter is very straight to it. Okay, it's very, it's very hard. So first, let us remember in Titus, 
I showed this last week that to the pure, all things are pure, but to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure, but even their mind and conscience are defiled. They profess to know God, but in works they deny Him, being abominable, disobedient, and disqualified for every good work. We live in a time, and, and it's not new, so we, I want you to remember something. As we go through some passages in Leviticus, talking about the, the, the sexual sins okay, of, the, of the land of Canaan, we can't say in our day, well, this is something new we're seeing. No, it's very old. It goes, that's why we have Leviticus 18, because it's that old and even goes back farther. Okay, because that's what wickedness does. It will take you farther and farther and farther down. You say, well, what's the lowest low? Don't know if there is a lowest low, actually. In the end, you die. I do know that. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. So we know that. So in honor of God and His Word, I'm going to read a passage of Leviticus here. At verses 18, or Leviticus 18, uh, verses 24 through 30. If all honor of God and His Word, let us stand and read this together. Leviticus chapter 18. I put it on the screen for... Just reference chapters 24 through 30. Do not defile yourselves with any of these things. I'll talk about those things in a minute. For by all these the nations are defiled, which I am casting out before you. For the land is defiled. So one, two, three times already we've already read the word defiled. Which I am casting out before you. The land is defiled. Therefore I visit the punishment of its iniquity upon it. And the land vomits out its inhabitants. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments and shall not commit any of these abominations, either any of your own nation or any stranger who dwells among you. For all these abominations the men of the land have done who were before you, and thus the land is defiled. There it is a fourth time. Lest the land vomit you out also, second time for vomit, when you defile it, fifth time, and it is vomited, third time, out of the nations that you that were before you. For whoever commits any of these abominations, the persons who commit them shall be cut off from among their people, which is another way of saying killed or they die. Therefore you shall keep my ordinance so that you do not commit any of these abominable customs which were committed before you and that you do not defile, number six, yourselves by them. I am the Lord your God. Let's pray. Father, we ask for wisdom as we navigate these passages. And God, we, we live in a season in our own culture, the entire Western Hemisphere of, of uh, nations who have completely embraced this again, or, or nearly have. And so, Lord, we ask that, uh, being very aware of this in the mainstream of life, that you would give us wisdom to understand what it is you're telling the nation of Israel and what you're telling the Israel of God today, your church, in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Now, again, I just want to say, I'm trying to be discreet, and I will be discreet. But in the passages, if you begin in verse 1, you have a list of prohibitions of what, or, or what it is that uh, a, a Jew was to uh, not be a part of when it comes to the sexual purity of their life. And that was inappropriate uh, relationships with family members, brothers, Sisters, mothers, fathers, and having any kind of physical sexual relationship with them. You would think, well, that seems obvious. 
right? And, and that also, we could also say, well, that's just pretty gross, right? But that's what they did. And, and not only that, this, there was a large spiritual component to it. It was used in idolatrous worship. Not only that, they were forbidden from having those kind of, of uh, uh, physical relationships with the same sex. We know what that is. Men with men and women with women. And if that weren't enough, they were forbidden to have those things with animals, livestock. Okay? And specifically to our case, goats in that time and in that day were used primarily as the, you know, in that specific part, that's what they used. And it was a cult of women with goats. Okay. Pharaoh, the Ramses III, thought that he was descendant of one of the goat gods for that very reason. So, I don't think I need to read through all of those descriptors. You all get it. Okay? So, I want to read some things to you, though, about what sexual sin does. Now, this was written... uh, I'm thinking that the the source was originally written in, in the year 2000, but... It actually is a study that goes back to 1934. In 1934, an Oxford and Cambridge academic named J.D. Unwin, that's quite a name, uh, he was a Ph.D., published the results of an exhaustive study of 86 different societies over 5,000 years. Okay, now mind you, okay, that's 1934. Well, does it matter? 86 different societies... Over a 5,000 year period of their histories reviewing them and the outcome of this homosexuality and other sexual perversions. Okay? Not, not least of which is simply just uh, unsanctioned sex outside of marriage. Okay? Uh, between men and women. So he says this uh, over 5,000 years concerning monogamy free sexual expression, and rampant promiscuity and their impact upon society. So we have those things. So it's not just limited to the, what we might call the really gross stuff. It's, this is just human sexuality gone off the rails. So he studied this. 86 different societies, 5,000 years worth of history. Unwin describes himself, then you need to know this, as a rationalist confiding that science exclusively conveys the ultimate tool for factual inquiry with no religious convictions to convey unwin offered evidence without judgment in his 600 plus page study he says i offer no opinion about righteous or about rightness or wrongness of sexual choices so he's simply just looking at it with a lab coat on trying to have he has no religious uh reasons uh, being uh, given so on these 86 different societies Unwin discovered civilizations where men and women practice abstinence until marriage and faithfulness within thrive and promiscuous cultures with sexual divergence decline. That was one of the very first biggest ones. Well, yeah, they do. Then he says, Unwin's research found sexual restraint resulted in stronger, wealthier, and creative cultures. Okay, and in an exhaustive study, he talks about the arts and different things that really flourished underneath sexual restraint. 
Amongst the 86 societies unwin studied were Roman, Greek, Sumerian, Moorish, Babylonian, and Anglo-Saxon civilizations. His conclusion, his conclusion, albeit in academic language, declares, In human records, there is no instance of a society retaining its energy after a complete new generation has inherited a tradition which does not insist on prenuptial and postnuptial restraint or premarital premarital and postmarital restraint. So in other words, he's saying it, it, it cannot stand. It, it does not. When that generation rises up that no longer knows those boundaries, it does not stand. In non-academic language, he garnered evidence that societal collapse begins with changing attitudes toward sex. When alternative sexual, when alternative sexual lifestyles replace monogamy between one male and one female, society embarks on the process of decline, which, if fully embraced, takes three generations to collapse. But when sexual fidelity is encouraged and practiced, society regains its momentum and flourishes again. And then lastly... In case you're wondering, like, how many generations we've been down this road, right? That's kind of like, where's it at? Okay, so he says this. This is the end part of that. As people live longer today and reproduce later, a generation could stretch from 30 to 50 years, representing 90 to 150 years of change. If the year 2000 was the beginning of progressive ideas taking hold of an entire nation's sexual preferences... Unwin study indicates on the West's current promiscuous trajectory, the West's decline will continue for at least another century until it is totally usurped financially, militarily, culturally, and you're going to like this, and in technology by another culture. Everyone's like, that emoji on your foot. I was like, Lord, what am I supposed to say about this? Well, I'm not going to harp on all that's there. We all know what the acts are. Okay, we know what those physical things are. We know what the scripture says. If you're not read Leviticus 18, you should read through it. But the issue at hand is what God says, Leviticus 18, verse 24 through 30. And I would just draw your attention again to six times the word defiled is used. Okay? Twice, I believe, vomit is used. And then uh, at least four times the word abomination is used or abominable in this passage. That's how God feels about these things. So I want to discuss with you then what the word defiled means. Defiled is the state of being impure, dishonored, or desecrated. God says that they were not to defile themselves with the people of the land that they were going to possess. They were to be different. They were to be different not only in the foods they ate to declare that they have a, 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 a king of heaven that they serve, but also in the way their personal lives were sexually. Because I don't think we can understand that uh, even though we have all that we have going on in our day with 
all of the multicolored hair and the, all the stuff and all that goes along with the trappings. And it's not always that way, but that's kind of where it goes, okay? That's, that's the impression of it. With all of the expressions of homosexuality and, and normal heterosexual promiscuity, okay? With all of that, you know, the way people dress or maybe they don't dress that much, okay? it still isn't to the level of low that they were around when they went into Canaan. Okay? Or, we don't see that yet as it was in the last days of Rome. Open nakedness, public acts of indecency, in worship settings, with livestock, from one to the other. We can't conceive it. We don't see that in our culture, and thank God we don't. But what we do see, and you can't deny it, is that trajectory. Because it always ends in the same place. 86 different societies over 5,000 years, and suddenly we're going to be different. Right. So to file means... To be dishonored and desecrated. To defile something is an act of great disrespect toward God or others. Sin can defile a person, a community, or a nation. We defile ourselves in many ways, but there are two primary sins about which Scripture regularly uses the word defilement, and that's when it comes to sexual impurity and idolatry, because as I said, they go together. They go together. One of the practices that you often see associated in history when you look at these cultures, not only in their sexual worship styles, you will see the murder of the innocents too. They always go hand in hand. Always the murder of the innocents. Always. And the stuff that I read on this from history, I thought, I mean, it it was not good reading this week. It was gross and grotesque. It, it was very much a free-for-all in what they did. The link between idolatry and sexual immorality is established by the frequent use of the term prostating, prostituting themselves. They prostituted themselves. They, they, bowed, they bowed down to it and they gave themselves away to it. In that open sexual expression. It was just the way life was. In fact, as I was reading, the history shows that the Jews, even at this time, were not shocked by it. So God is telling them, through Moses, no more. We we tend to think, we tend to think, that somehow the Jews were like, oh, oh, I'm going to pretend that I don't hear that, okay? Because I, I, can, I can detect a nut in a tree a mile away if it's shiny, okay? <laughs> but uh, we tend to think, we tend to think that those, those practices for the Jews going into the land of Canaan were shock, a shock to them, but they were actually participating in them Some of them were as they were possessing the land. 
because that's how they grew up. That's how they, that's how they, it was not new. It was not a shock to them. And we got to get that. Now, what we're seeing in our day is a shock to most of us. But that's going to be generational because uh, I'll take the Gen Z's here. Okay, those in their 20s. It's not a shock to you. You you grew up seeing this and seeing it more and more and more. It's not uncommon. It's not a a shock to you to see children's cartoons display such things. But when you go past and into the X and into the boomer. It's quite a shock to us. Because it wasn't like that. So you see the differences? Okay, the link, again, between idolatry and sexual immorality is established by the frequent use of prostituting themselves or adultery to describe the Hebrew idolatry in the Old Testament. You remember, God would often accuse them of spiritual adultery. But notice what he says. Israel's unfaithfulness to God was not only a form of spiritual prostitution and adultery, but it also led to the physical acts themselves. Spiritual prostitution, spiritual adultery will eventually find themselves being acted out physically. Now, how long ago did the Western nations begin to spiritually prostitute themselves? And now we see and have a whole generation. Now, what's past Z? What are they called? I was told once, it's, it's, a diff, it's a number. But they even have, so gen, the, the generation just below Gen Z, the younger ones, more like 12, 11, so on, they literally are, uh, it's just how things are. It's to be celebrated. It's to be like, yeah. But what it is, is it's taught rebellion that they endorse and embrace so you know the decline that we were talking about, my Mr. Unwin? I don't know where that is. And, and I want to caution you here too, real quick. <laughs> if you think for a second that America is somehow the clock for the second coming of Christ, guess again. Because judgment can fall upon this country and any country like those other 5,000 years and those 86 societies that collapsed. It can fall here just like it did there without Jesus coming back yet. You understand that? There's no eject. It's just, what are we to be about as the church? Um, I could go ahead right here and say, I think it's important to say, that we as Christians had it so easy and so good for so long that our mouths got out of shape. Because our knees got weak. Because we didn't pray for the, what we saw coming. Where were, where, where were we? We voted politically. We, we took to politics, not to prayer. We took to, to men of, and women of rank to do something legislatively. But we didn't do anything about what we did locally from the church. Where were we when they were doing these things? And should have been saying to mayors and others, and, and I'm guilty... Because I didn't know anything about this. It is our job, okay, to speak into that. The truth of the gospel of Christ. 
to, to say to the congressmen, the senators, and the mayors, and whoever, school board, superintendents, you name it, or teachers, you do realize you will answer to the God of heaven for what you're doing, because the Bible says. And they may say, well, I don't care what the Bible says. Well, it's your job to just tell it. Now, how you tell it matters, and how we do that matters. If you're going to be ugly and rude, don't bother. But we're to be salt and light. And I like salt. And it doesn't do any good when it's stuck in the shaker. And one of the worst things I've had happen when it comes to, you know, eating, because we have some back there in the cabinet, I'm just shaking vigorously the salt because there's none in it, only to take a bite and realize there's still nothing in it. Why did that happen? Because it's stopped up or something. It won't come out. And, and I feel like the American God is shaking and we're like hanging on because we don't want to go out. Okay. Don't let us go down in that mean, nasty thing called the world. And so, what happens when the salt is not applied? The decay just spreads. Okay. Almost done. The other word is abomination. Uh, This is a big fat word. That which is aesthetically and morally repulsive. Something that is an abomination which causes horror and disgust in others. It is something that, that, is, that is offensive to God and His created order. One of the things that if you go back and you read Leviticus 18 and you talk about uh, the issues with the livestock, okay, is that it, it is called confusion. It is called confusion when that happens. You're talking about doing things Human, you're talking about having human relations with animals and then with the same, like male and male and women, and they call it, it's called confusion because it's against the created order of God. Do you, do you understand? Like, I don't know what else, I don't know how else to, to analogize that to just get you to understand that it is, it is literally the word used in Hebrew is confusion and it's an abomination. It's abominable. In Got Questions website, it says an abomination is something that causes hate or disgust. And that's exactly when God uses the word abomination, one of the things that he refers it to is in this issue of. Uh, Homosexuality and bestiality. Abomination. There are, there are young kids today and others that literally their life's purpose is lived around their sexual identity and perversion. Every day they live, that's all they think about and all they see. But now, you remember before it was tolerance. Tolerance. Just tolerate them to each their own. What people do behind closed doors is their own business. But now, it's not enough. They want and will figure out a way or try to find a way to make you bow the knee to their identity. Because it always turns violent in the end. Every description that we have of of this kind of lifestyle being dealt with in the scriptures... Always is violent. And it's always against those who withstand it. Okay. God loathes and he hates it. 
But I want to remind you that God is faithful to call out His own even from that. So you and I, if we believe in the sovereignty of God and we see the, 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 the serial adulterer, okay, uh, be they male or female, because you have to understand that the sin of homosexuality in our culture, it didn't just kind of pop up on its own. It actually is just the natural progression out of loose heterosexual irresponsibility. Remember all that? Remember that? Everybody gives them a pass, but they shouldn't be given the pass because they're the ones that started that. And then it's progressed on to where it is, to where it's militant. But we have to understand that God's, God saves sinners. God saves people out of that. Porn stars are saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. Just the same as occultic, satanic high priests are saved by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And witches. And just run-of-the-mill homosexuals. Or adulterers that didn't realize after however many people they've run through that they are sinful and God shows up in mercy and He bestows upon them the, the clarity of mind and soul to see it. And they are in horror and they cry out for mercy and God saves their souls because God has an elect people. And it doesn't matter how far they go. Just like it didn't matter because the Jews that came out of Egypt and inherited Canaan were still very vile. But God was cleaning them up. I'm going to turn to, to Romans a bit here and we'll finish up. And I'm not, I'm not going to get too exhaustive on this because you all know this. Romans chapter 1. Is a good Romans chapter one and two actually is a good description of what it's like for those who embrace such lifestyles. And the Bible tells us that in like in in verse eighteen, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress truth and unrighteousness because. Here's what it says in verse 19. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. And the reason they can know that is through the creation. Through their creation. There's some Latin terms that I want to share with you quickly. Two terms. Victio interna and victio externa. And this is simply what we call the call of God, the internal call of God and the external call of God. The victio externa has in what is known as victio realasa, and it simply means that which they see. It's the real, in creation, the God's attributes are clearly seen. That's the call of God from his will of disposition that all men should repent. Then there's the Victio Interna, which is very, very, very singular. And that's when God deals with men like, uh, uh, what does it believe? Uh, before you were in the womb, I knew you. And, huh? Yeah, Jeremiah. And, call, and ordained you to be. When Jesus chose his apostles or his disciples, before I saw you when you were under the tree, 
I knew you. And John 17, I pray not only for these, but all those, Lord, whom you will give me. That's the victio interna. But we have the externa and those things working together. So we have the will of disposition. We have the creative will of God. But here we have to understand that God is not limited to save because of how bad we can be. Because we are inherently just evil people with a fallen nature in desperate need of a Savior. Which is what we go out and we share with people on days like today. So yeah, you, can be, you should be repulsed by what you see in your culture. But what are you doing against it? Uh, don't you dare go get political. Not in the sense of just in that by a vacuum. But are you talking? Are you saying anything? Are you praying against it in the name of the Lord? Are you... Because one thing I find, it's, it's much easier to hate it than it is to pray for it. And to speak in against it through the gospel of Christ. Because to some of us, it's so shocking. Lastly. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. Now, that's quite a list. And you'll notice that homosexuals and sodomites are just in there amongst the others, right? Because all have sinned. Notice it doesn't qualify it. All have sinned. And fallen short of the glory of God. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God's eternal life through Jesus Christ the Lord. But then he says. And such were some of you. And such were some of you. Yeah. What did God save you out of? You all have. For those of you who know Christ. Your story. Your testimony. You came out of something. Yours may not specifically be on the list. But it's under the list. These are like major headings, I guess, and then you could have your subheadings. But he says, such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified. That means you were declared righteous, set apart for God. And then he says, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus by the Spirit of our God. So how does salvation work? It's a miracle of God in mercy that he comes down to the to the, to the man or woman or boy or girl that's lost in sin, that's in misery, doing all kinds of debaucherous acts. I love to read testimonies of former mafia leaders and terrorists whom when Jesus shows up changes everything. And the things they've done. Well, we kind of have an apostle that did things too, right? Paul did some stuff. And yet that man was used of God like crazy because the Lord changed his life. So I'm, I don't believe that, that, that anybody is too far gone. I will go share Christ with them. And God help me, and God do help me, when I get uh, to thinking somehow I'm better. Because it's only by his mercy that I'm not like them. I always wondered what I would be if it weren't for Jesus. And if you'd have known my life before, I would have probably been a warmonger. I was drawn to that in my nature. I thank God that I'm not. I thank God for His saving grace. Aren't you? Aren't you glad? Yes.
So we're going to go in time of corporate prayer now. And as we do, some of you may be here and you're like, what do I do with Jesus? Here, I want to tell you, as we begin to pray, just cry out to him for mercy. Say, Lord, save me. I'm like this. Give me a heart to understand. For the rest of us, as we pray, God, bring me back close again. But as we pray today, let's not have any air between those who are praying. Okay, let's keep it moving. Silence in these things are still gaps are kind of tough. And when you pray, please stand and project. Remember, it's not about you on this situation. It's about us. We're praying as a church. So it's not my pet needs. It's about us and church needs and, and what God is doing in the world, where our culture is, where our children are, praying for our children, praying for what we're supposed to do to be the salt and light and things like we're seeing. We don't need any more sermons about how bad it is. We need sermons on what we need to be about doing in it. Okay? So let's pray like, let's pray to that end, shall we? All right. Well, let's go to the Lord in prayer then as we'll get started. Brother Dan Gott, would you start us off, please?